All right, everyone, welcome back to the weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. I'm your co-host, Michael Ippolito, and I'm joined by my whip-smart co-host, uh, Mr. Tyler Neville. What's going on, Tyler? What's up, Mike? How's it going? It's going well, man. It's been a big week. Actually, I think this is it. I think this is the last edition of On the Margin. I think this is the last Blockworks, whatever. This is it. This is the end game. We hit the end game this week. We're never going to top this. Yeah. I mean, let's just launch right into it. This is the biggest story of the week. This is what I want to talk about for the majority of this segment. It's This is the NYDIG news. So NYDIG is rolling out Bitcoin services in partnership with FIS to hundreds of banks. So this is what's going on. Like, we'll just talk kind of high level about what's going on here, and then we'll get into the implications and details, because I think this is the biggest news all year. Um, Before that, can we talk about your Mountain Man shirt? Last week was Steve Jobs, and now you're going for the Lumberjack. <laughs> I was so ready to launch into this, man. I was so ready. Now I got it. Now you got me rethinking my whole wardrobe. Dude, mountain Man. You think yeah. this is what Mountain Men wear? <laughs> this is what Mountain Men wear. Your parents moved to Montana. I figured, I don't know. That's sort of what's going on. I do, you know what? I do. Let's see if I have it here, if it's in my hamper. Now, I do have a great Mountain Man shirt. It's like I got it. It's Kirkland brand. It's like that classic lumberjack thing you oh, see. Yeah. It's like the red and black flannel. It's like all I need is my axe, you know. And oh, yeah. A hall of wood yeah, like and, that. And a beard. And a beard. I need, yeah, I need to be able to grow the beard. I think that's, <laughs> yeah, you that's the key beard. thing. That's the key thing. Yeah. Um, all right. So my wardrobe aside, um, yeah. we'll, we'll do a whole – that will be like an after hours type, you know. Inside Edition uh, director's cut. You know, we'll do. We'll, we'll look at my wardrobe here, and <laughs> you can critique everything you want, my friend. All right, let's just get into this. So, Nidig. I mean, Nidig has come out of the woodwork and become this unbelievable behemoth in this space in a relatively short span of time. Right, uh, and it's just a great. First of all, they're a great example of what just great execution uh, can get you at the end of the day. Um, but I mean, look, this news, you know, they're going to allow, you know, this network of banks. And right now it's mostly not larger banks. Uh, it's mostly smaller banks. Uh, but apparently hundreds of banks have already signed on to this service uh, that will essentially allow customers at uh, just banks, uh, commercial banks, um, to buy, sell and hold Bitcoin through their existing accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, they're doing this in partnership with FIS. Uh, which is a Fortune 500 fintech provider uh, that has relationships with essentially every bank um, in the United States. Uh, they're going to be uh, kind of providing the the infrastructure to actually interact uh, with these lenders. And then NIDIG is going to be doing the actual custody and trade execution. Yeah, I mean, like there's so many fascinating tidbits to unpack. I mean, if you look at actually why banks are moving on this, right? I mean, the direct quote is banks have been watching funds move <laughs> out of their consumer accounts onto Coinbase and Kraken? I mean, that that line right there was the scariest, but also like incredible, it's really happening. Like we are watching yeah. in the midst of a giant like wealth transfer. Yeah. And if you don't think that, like ju- just read that, read that article again and understand really what's happening. The demand, the, the cat's out of the bag. Everybody kind of knows this fiat money printing game is at like, it's end and it's happening. It's happening. Yeah, I just think this is kind of it, right? I, I, I don't know. I mean, being able to purchase Bitcoin through your bank is, uh, that's, that's the end game here that we were all kind of talking about and waiting about. And just to give you an, an understanding of 
you know, the reach that we're, there, there are two big things to unpack here. So FIS, um, you know, this, uh, which is Fidelity National Information Services. Sorry, I should have said that. They reach 300 million checking accounts. The Atlas, on like a very conservative basis, the kind of average checking account uh, or median checking account rather in the US has like 1500 bucks, right? And, and it's probably larger than that. Um, so really what we're talking about is, you know, anywhere from 300 billion to $500 billion that are now gonna have access to Bitcoin products. And they can, that, that's right off the bat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think what's average account though. Now you're not talking about the 17 trillion in deposit accounts. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, we're not, I mean, so then we'll talk about City and Goldman who less, yeah. if, in case you think this is not a, a big deal, you know, basically when, when Nighting announced this earlier this week, they said, hey, we're mostly doing it with smaller lenders. Then today, we're recording this on Friday, May 7th, we've heard that City is apparently rolling out a trading desk and so is Goldman. On mm-hmm. the news already that Goldman said they were gonna offer crypto derivatives earlier this week. Mm-hmm. So less, in case you think this is just a drop in the bucket, not a big deal, the, you know, the largest banks now, I mean, Goldman and Citi, right? They're, they're moving in and gonna allow their customers to buy and sell uh, Bitcoin. Um, you know, this is just gonna create a relentless bid. This is the relentless bid. And that's the fascinating thing is that because no one's front running this information yet, it, the yeah. price hasn't really moved that much on it, which is the most fascinating thing because they're all, the on-ramps are so hard for these giant legacy companies it's like, you know, drinking out of a fire hose once it gets released. And it, just like with the, the special funds in Germany that we talked about that yeah. opened up on July 1st, we're seeing this come down the pipe and you can still buy it right now. And that all that capital is flowing in later, like once the on-ramps get built. And it's it's really amazing that we're, we're hearing it. Normally they like buy it. And then they tell you after the fact, like a hedge fund does, like, oh, we have a position in this. And it's just too massive. It's too big of an opportunity where they just need to jump and say, we're doing it now so that their customers know. Yeah. I, you know, there's so like Elon Musk, right? There's a lot of attention right now that's getting paid to Dogecoin, right? And, you know, I do think there are some ridiculous signals that are going on in the market. Like apparently Dogecoin is trading up because Elon Musk is going on SNL. I mean, get more, you know, sell the uh, news. I'm selling the news. Sell the news. Yeah, sell the news. But what makes me bullish about this space is that you still have information that's coming out like this, and the market hasn't even moved. Mm -hmm. Take that, take that for whatever it's worth. But like, you know, what you're the framework to look at Bitcoin, right? Is that the larger and larger it gets, you are essentially unlocking new sources of demand and capital. Mm -hmm. The framework you can use is like. Honestly, John Pfeffer said this a long time ago, and it's so dead on. It's like a venture investment, right? And as a new company, as a venture investment, you're essentially, you need to hit milestones to unlock the next big round of capital, mm-hmm. right? If you're a software, like, let's just use the example of a software company. It's like, you need a certain amount of users or, you know, ARR or whatever it is. Once you hit that number, then you essentially get the next big um, source of capital unlocked to you. That's what's yeah. happening here. I couldn't agree more. And I, I said it in one of the newsletters this week where like Peter Thiel said, it's it's a sign in private markets when you do a series B with a really top tier investor. It's almost a big up round shows that it's almost always undervalued if it's a top tier investor. We saw Andreessen do a billion dollar crypto fund into an asset class. I want to take that same mentality 
and wrap it into capital and new asset classes, which, you know, you're seeing, you know, Andreessen, Multicoin did, a, did another fund. I know you want to talk about that. Yeah. And then this NIDIG news too. It's just like, just like you said, that it's undervalued. When you see this type of action, it's still massively undervalued. These are top tier investors. These guys aren't on, they're not bag holders. They're not the ones that, you know, buy at the end of a long-term bull market. These are people that are very logical and usually on the right side of the trade. So I don't know. Uh, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. I I want to I also kind of compare contrast sources of demand for something like Bitcoin and that term, a relentless bid. There's a difference between, hey, there's this one-off $100 million purchase of something like Bitcoin versus these kind of sources of eternal demand, right? Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like, you know, PayPal, essentially, which is allowing their customers to buy and sell crypto. That's a that's a recurring source of demand, right? It's almost like you could subscription versus ad type businesses. It's not this one off big purchase that will help affect the marginal price of Bitcoin at the time. These are continuous sources of demand where capital is going to continue to pour into the space and directly from the banking system or the banking sector. That was the last big kind of holdout. Right. You've seen a lot of uh, fintechs adopt this, right? You know, mm -hmm. do stuff like Cash App and PayPal and most recently Venmo. And now you're just seeing it directly from bank accounts. Um, and, and it's diversified, right? Yes, yeah, diversified. Like we have a globally diverse portfolio. Yeah. And it's not just, uh, you know, your $100 million funds buying it. It's like every different incentives, which makes it so healthy. Like the dips will get shallower. Volatility should theoretically drop when you get more, more and more diverse incentives into the pool of, of capital. And then it becomes that store of value where everyone's like, the volatility is too high. The volatility is too high. But like, you, that's just, that's probably what happened in the US dollar back in the Civil War, right? You know, you had the Confederate dollar, the Civil dollar, and you had all these different things juggling. Same sort of thing probably is happening right now. We just don't know it. So I've got another question for you. Um, you know, there's been a lot of, so if you look at what Michael Saylor's doing, uh, there's a lot of speculation that he, he's essentially running a speculative attack on the US dollar, right? He's borrowing in the the less, um, you know, the, the worst kind of money, right? Which is fiat, he's going long. So he's short fiat, he's long Bitcoin, basically. For free, uh, borrowing for free. Yeah, he's borrowing for free and then putting it into the sound store of money. Yeah. So whatever it's you could I mean you could characterize that as a speculative attack on the dollar. You could characterize what China's doing by investing in commodities, one belt, one road, diversifying diversifying away from uh, you know their their uh, holding of U.S. Treasury securities. They're also that's also kind of a speculative attack on the dollar. Where dollars get created is in the commercial banking system, right? Even when you see the Fed quote unquote printing all these dollars, doing QE, what they're trying to do is incentivize the commercial banking sector. Uh, to actually originate more loans, right? Which is, that's that's actually how money is created, base money is created, uh, mm -hmm. or broad money rather. Um, it is very interesting that the government is allowing Bitcoin into the commercial banking sector. That is the very source of money creation. Mm -hmm. And and they're doing it because they're too late on the regulation, or I, I don't know, maybe they're asleep at the wheel. I just know that th this week is really interesting. It's a dichotomy because they just released their like semi-annual, you know, the Fed's financial uh, report. I forget what it's called, but they basically said like, you know, asset prices are high and they could have a severe pullback. 
And you're like, what are you, what are you talking about? You're buying 40 billion of, of house, you know, mortgage backed securities a month and 80, 80 billion of, of treasuries. You're the problem. And they're just releasing this now that like, Hey, you know, asset prices are elevated. Like no shit. Like, <laughs> I mean, like if that, those are the people that are making the regulations. And, and I think the bankers at these companies are fed up because they're like, Hey, we are seeing like deposits fly out the door to going to Coinbase to Kraken, you know, and they're not doing anything. So it's, I don't know if it's going to come. Janet Yellen's talked about it. We'll see what happens, but like, is it too late at this point? You know, the dollar's just imploding now and unemployment numbers came out horrible. They got to keep the printing presses going and, and like they have no, the, the die is cast. They have no other like opportunities now. They have to keep rates low. The deficits are blowing out. Like this is a toxic cocktail for US government finances. Yeah. And I don't know what happens, but it's, it's, this is the dominoes are falling right now. Yeah. So do you think this is tacit endorsement from the government? It, it's possible, but ju just judging from the fact that like, Jay Powell and Janet Yellen pivoted after 10 years of like just flat out like leveraging the economy without any fiscal, they're now realizing like what they did. And now they're talking it back and they're talking about, you know, the massive inequalities and all this other stuff. And I'm like, you were sitting there and everyone was telling you this for the past 10 years. Now you just flip flopped. Like I tend to think that they're just ignorant and maybe I'm wrong, but I think when you've been in a giant institution for, for that many years, you're kind of blinded. If you're in private equity, like Jay Powell for years and years and years, like you just think like, oh, you just lever up companies and buy them. And you, you don't think about the middle class. Whereas every middle class person's like, shit, I need to buy Bitcoin because I can't get any you know interest anywhere else. And so that's sort of the methodology. And they're sitting in like this academic, you know, tower and, and think like the data is, is telling them, you know, the technocrats, you know, like, come on. So, okay. So I guess the big question is whether or not, so I, I, I have a different view. I just choose to believe, I guess that these people are competent. I, I, I hear you, but I also, I just think these people must be somewhat competent and smart. You can say they're in these giant bureaucracies. Jenny Yellen's a smart person. Jerome Powell's a smart guy. And and you can actually go back to like FOMC minutes from 2012 or whatever. You heard Jerome Powell, Jerome Powell in 2012 was talking about a, a, a duration bubble, you know, across the entire uh, fixed income spectrum. I, I, you know, I, I don't, I, I think he understands what's going on. I think his actions are a direct result of his current circumstances, which suck. And it's I, a I very, actually think these very are, good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're competent people. I just think it's a really difficult situation that they're forced in. And I'm starting to, I think the big question for me all comes down to whether or not they realize that the, the dollar system has been essentially co opted and it's not serving US interests anymore. I, I, mm -hmm. I just don't know if, if, if people have fully come to grips with that fact because I think if you look at numbers, it's, it's, it's really hard to make an argument that the, Essentially, what you're trading off is sanctions versus the middle class. That's what you're. That's what you're really trading off with with the dollar, right? You're getting access to cheap financing from international creditors, and you get this this powerful platform of of sanctioning 
U.S. enemies to protect our interests. Yeah. But you're hauling out the middle class. So, like, how eventually you got to weigh those two, the, the pros and cons of those two things. And I... It worked for the growth, but when the growth stops, you're, you're up shit's creek. You're up shit's creek. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if they're looking at the dollar system, they're saying, hey, maybe this doesn't work. Maybe we're going to let this Bitcoin thing run. Fair point. I mean, yeah. I, if that's the truth, you know, it is the release valve and people are getting wealthy off of it. And you know what? At this point, if you have Jamie Dimon and, you know, who's the new guy, the guy at Goldman Sachs, they're in Citigroup all jumping on the bandwagon. They have a call right into all of them. They're just going to be like, we're, we're doing this. Like, I'm, I'm sure they probably brought them into the discussion before. Um, and it's like, let's just see where this goes. You know, it's clearly a big employment driver and they're creating like new jobs and all these, these digital asset firms are raising like hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. In, well, in profitable. Well, hey, Todd, I, I got a question for you. So, yeah. All right. I um, I'm a I'm a banking consumer. Right. I, I have chosen right at this point to move my dollars in my bank uh, from U.S. dollars to Bitcoin. Can I get a loan in Bitcoin? You can at BlockFi. <laughs> you can at BlockFi. But this is what I'm saying. So at the very forefront of policymakers minds right now is mm-hmm. the amount of dollars versus credit in the system mm-hmm. and the way you get more dollars in the system is through commercial commercial bank lending. Mm-hmm. And the reason I asked that kind of stupid question, it's like, okay, well, that's how money creation happens. If now in bank accounts, you can own Bitcoin. If you get a loan in Bitcoin, that's money that is not being created in dollars. Yeah. Do you see? Yeah. It's, you know what? It's a weird thing. What's I, even more fascinating is, so I, I have a mortgage. It's pretty small, but I have a mortgage. And I actually like, I have less anxiety about borrowing in digital currencies to lever up there than I do if I were to like take the equity out of my house and buy another apartment, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that nuts? Where you're like, I actually have more confidence in borrowing against my collateral, which is over collateralized in, in BlockFi to buy more ETH and like, Versus buying a house, because yeah, because I'm thinking in my brain like all the the supply and demand dynamics are way different in digital assets than they are in in every other financial asset, every other asset that's been financialized in the other ecosystem. So, yeah, I mean it's really fascinating when you think about it. Like that's that's the arbitrage. Yeah, that's the arbitrage. Mm. I look, it's just going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. And by the way, you know, when we say this is the end, I usually I feel like we present a more balanced perspective. This is not yeah. a balanced week. I think this was a really big piece of news. I think this deserves. But I, I also think um, I also think it's worth pointing out that we're not rooting for at least I am not rooting for the quote unquote destruction of the fiat system, right? I want Bitcoin yeah. to be successful. There need I think the next layer of dialogue that this space deserves is how are these two systems going to coexist because I will tell you it is not good for anyone Bitcoin holders included if the fiat system crumbles mm-hmm. it is not good it is not good it, for you maybe we're watching it happen they're going side by side maybe you know JP Morgan all these banks start offering like the lending actually happens in the Bitcoin world yeah 
you yeah. know, and they just kind of like they chug along together. It's possible. And I'm not really concerned about like an implosion in asset markets with the dollar selling off like this. It's yeah. it's going to be highly inflationary um, and probably the really high price stuff like tech, the non-profitable tech stuff gets taken to the cleaners. Yeah. Well, so, with that, maybe we can transfer into the second part of this discussion. So, yeah. Yeah. So some of that unprofitable tech, like let's look at ARC, for instance, right? Um, yeah. So I'll set, set the scene here and then I'll let you go wild. But uh, so Kathy Wood, uh, she'll go down as one of the one of the great investors of our generation or or, you know, she'll fall in the other direction. But, uh, yeah, it's been incredible to see what she's been doing with ARC over the course of the last couple of years. Uh, their ETF, I'm not sure how much they manage now. It's definitely over 100 billion. What is it, 120 billion? Yeah. It's the largest actively managed yeah. ETF, right? Yeah. So, so it's down about um, 30% over the course of the last uh, month or so. Uh, I actually have their, their top 10 holdings here. So these are companies like Tesla. Uh, that's their number one. I'm just going to go in order. So it's Tesla, um, which is 11% of the ETF, Teladoc Health, which is 6.3%, Roku, which I love, by the way, proud owner of a Roku TV, <laughs> about 5%, Square, <laughs> Shopify, Spotify, Zoom, Zillow, Twilio, and finally, Coinbase, uh, which has been a yeah. real stinker since uh, <laughs> an IPO. Which, uh, I have nothing against those companies. It's just the valuations when you have this general generational transfer from labor, capital to labor is like the price you paid mm -hmm. is probably too high. It, that's my, mm -hmm. I, I think they're great companies. You know, Tesla's just like outrageously valued. And now I think that that hot air balloon is shrinking. Um, but look, let me, let me read this to you, ready? So this is year to date performance numbers. Arc is down 10%, Amazon's up 2%. Wheat is up 19%, soybeans up 23%, oil up 33%, corn up 45%, lumber up 94%. Lumber. And, lumber. And get, get this, guess what's outperformed all of them year to date? Hmm. Bitcoin up 97%. So this is the other divergence that happened huge this week, which is like- Huh, that's interesting. Bitcoin is actually outperforming lumber so it's it's becoming an inflation hedge. Like that's the divergence. Is everyone's like, oh, you know, it's the Bitcoin bubble, blah 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 blah. It it's transformed from, you know, a high growth tech stock, to a store of value in a highly fiat, you know, printing world. And those performance numbers will tell you that. No one's really paying attention to it, but like, it's outperforming lumber. That's like, it, meanwhile you have. Amazon's only up 2%. So there's some major rotations happening underneath the hood of the market. And not, I don't think this has really caught on. And I, I, I partly think that's why all the banks are, are trying to offer this now. It's because they're like, well, you know, if we can't like do all the IPOs and SPACs and of high tech growth companies, and you feel the winds of change coming from capital to labor, then we need to get on this right now. I think that's, those are the conversations happening in those boardrooms. Um, but, you know, Kathy Wood nailed nailed the past. You know, we'll see if it keeps going. Like, this is just my perspective. I'm, I'm curious. On Friday, we're getting a bit of a bounce. But the dollar's selling off. Like, I think this is a short-selling rally in, in tech. Because as the dollar sells off, inflation keeps going. 
Why are Bonds rallying? Beats me. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. It, 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 this is the other thing that's going on. Five-year break-even rates are at 2.7%, and the five-year treasury is at 0.8. This was from Axios morning email, which is great, by the way. Shout out to Axios. Do a great job. Um, anyway, that's 2.7% inflation. Yields, ne- real yields are getting more and more negative. So, like, why the hell would you own a nominal yielding bond right now? Like, you're losing almost 2% on it. And baby boomers who own all this crap, they got to get out eventually, right? Yeah. Okay. So why why are there still trillions of dollars in mutual funds when there's a structure called an ETF, which is just more, same thing, it's just more tax advantageous. I just think there's some amount of lag, whatever, dollars get trapped. Uh, it takes a while. Capital is not freely flowing, right? I mean, people get trapped in and they don't want to trigger cap gains, whatever it is. But like, yeah. theoretically, there's no real reason for mutual funds to exist anymore. Am I wrong? Like, there's just a more tax efficient structure for it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. I just, I'm not smart enough to know those dynamics. But I do know that, like, if you've held something for 30 years and you're up, like, you know, 500,000%. You know, you're probably, if you lose 2% this year on like inflation, most people don't even pay attention to that stuff. Yeah. Especially if you're a boomer, you're probably getting your appreciation on your house over inflation anyway. So that's why the supply just stays tight. But if this happens for five years, six years, I don't know. I like to think people are smarter than that. Okay. I've got I've got a hot take for you because apparently this is my hot take uh, weekly roundup edition. Next next week it'll be more balanced. This is hot take, Mike uh, rolling in here this week. New section. Kathy Wood is the greatest macro fund manager of the last ten years, and here's why. Here's why I'm here's how I'm going to support that take. She had okay. two big realizations, right? So the way the the macro guys made money back in like the '80s, right, and '90s. Right, is they were looking at they were looking at equities, right? They were looking at these really big liquid markets and they were paying attention to interest rates. And they had a better understanding of the dynamics of things like the exchange rate mechanisms over in Europe. Um, and, and they took advantage of what was going on there. They profited hugely, they made a bunch of money. So if the core competency of macro is to understand how things like central banking, exchange rates, that kind of stuff is impacting markets in the world, then the only fact that you had to know over the course of the last 10 years was that the Fed was gonna hold interest rates down super low and pump the shit out of growth stocks. That's what you had to know. So the very best play that you could do is essentially lever yourself long tech. <laughs> like that was the play, right? Yeah. That's what, that, you only had to know that one thing and then you could have done extremely well. And that's essentially what Kathy Wood did. And if you had a, I mean, I, it feels- And secular like, stagnation too. Like right. you, have, you have demographics rolling over. I think she gets all that stuff. Yeah, I think she gets it too. Yeah. I and, just think that it's time to pay the piper when you know you have labor, basically saying, "Hey." Well, maybe her strategies. Yeah, we'll see how she offboards. Right, like we'll we'll see. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I think that she did that's really interesting is um, she essentially made, you know, when the Fed brought interest rates down to zero, they eliminated the time value of money, right, and they essentially placed 
value on other non-currency. She's essentially using really large liquid stocks as currency. And that is the real hurdle rate. The, mm. the NASDAQ is your actual hurdle rate for uh, capital appreciation. And I feel like she actually realized that. And she's essentially, instead of trading in and out of cash, she's trading in and out of big liquid stocks like Apple. I mean, it's just inter it's just really interesting. It could be all a house of cards. Uh, I feel like you and I maybe disagree, but like you have to look at what she's done and just be impressed. Oh, and I, I think the logic is there. I am. I'm just calling. I think I, I was. I mean, like here, there's a lot, lots of good to be done, you know, by investing in these types of companies, and I, I just think that it's time to pay the piper. Like when you get a massive, the a new presidency, a new Congress, basically changing where allocating where money's going. And the employment numbers tell you the, the story where no yeah. one working anymore. They don't want to get back to work because they're getting paid better on unemployment. And until you, that's an inflationary thing for wages. And that creates yeah. more bidders in the pool for commodities. And those, these big cycles are, are now coming to an end. And I think that's where, if you grow too big, it was a land grab of assets, right? And she she was forced into crazy, crazy companies that are just narratives. At the end of you know maybe not the top ones in in the holdings holder space, but like there was ones that were just like you know flat out frauds that you're forced when you get all those inflows, you're forced to put money in. I saw it at a giant income fund where. He, this guy was getting like $25 million in every single day and he couldn't even put it in enough bonds. Like, so he had to go to Canada to buy Canadian high yield bonds. And then that's just what happens at, at the end of these cycles, the liquidity, the, the, the shareholders, the, the float shrinks and you have to go out on the risk spectrum as more and more money comes in. You can't, I think what she should have done is just said, we're going to, stop inflows this is we're gonna close the fund right here and we're just gonna manage it from here mm. and i think you when the, the spigots are open indefinitely it always creates these massive imbalances yeah what is their total aum i should have i actually got it pulled up right now yeah is it 50 billion and in net assets yeah 22 billion oh geez i was way off okay. yeah um you gotta cut that part out <laughs> yeah, you got to make me sound smarter than I am. Okay, I was way off for that number. Uh, all right, well, if you've listened this far, then uh, I'm retracting what I said earlier in the show. But I mean, look, it's still it's still incredibly impressive. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll see how it all shakes out. But I I, I do think, like, if your if your sphere of competence is to understand how what central banks are doing and and what interest rates are doing impacts different buckets of assets, then the bet that you needed to make here was, was long tech. Um, and you know, there's this saying, it's like, don't let what you want in markets, you know, shape what is actually happening, your perception of what's actually happening. And I think, um, I think that's happened to a lot of people and a lot of people have basically just said, Hey, this shouldn't be happening, but the reality is that it is. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's some way to go before we reverse things here. Like you can, I mean, my big interpretation from the Fed, and you could see like Jenny Yeld said something earlier this week and then kind of immediately walked it back. I think they just don't know what to do in this situation. I think they're like, to my earlier point, I think they're more aware than ever of what's going on. They just don't have any good avenues. I think they're trying to grow their way out. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think 
what they say is like, you know, it's bad when they have to, they have to lie. And every single emerging market, when they peg their currency and they're like, oh, we're fine. We're going to pay off our debt. That's usually like a sign that they're about to like, you know, depeg the currency and devalue the shit out of it. And I think that's sort of what's funny is this is, this isn't happened with the U S dollar. They get, they've been bullying people for years and years and years. And now it's like, oh, uh oh, there's like, there's some issues here. Now we gotta like pretend. And I, I think their financial stability thing was saying, hey, asset prices could fall, is them trying to talk down the market so they can juice it more with QE. I think that was really the impetus is their, their biggest strength now is still kind of trying to like jawbone the market's action. Yeah. And the for now, bond markets, the bond market's intact. It's fine for now. I'm just saying, like, I think as the dollar keeps sinking lower and lower, then you're really going to get into bind. And and what I what I anticipate happening is the dollar is going to keep sinking and sinking and sinking. Inflation, commodity inflation will keep rising, 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 putting pressure on bonds. When you see the bond vol kind of like pop. Then you're going to get that super dollar spike, the dollar milkshake, Brent Johnson thing where it causes like yep. the credit crisis. And, and we'll, watch, we'll watch for that dollar spike when it comes. But for now, I think it's like, yeah, the inflation is going to put some pressure on them. Totally. And, and here's another interesting thing. Euro dollar futures. This is the futures market for where interest rates. Essentially, it's, it's LIBOR. Like, yeah. It's, it's essentially the Fed funds rate. In September of 2024, the futures are implying there's going to be five rate hikes by September of 2024. Huh. Which basically is saying, like, uh, that, that's a lot. That's a lot of inflation. That is. And I, I don't, if they raise rates like that, we're, everything's going to get, chopped i don't know what type of world we're living in then i have no idea either i don't know <laughs> like yeah i mean that is the big the big question right if if we can actually successfully bring inflation back i guess more fiscal spending you know yeah. we'll see i you know with the debt overhang it, like people so people talk a lot about okay well we're not in the same situation that we were in the late 70s 80s when volcker essentially tamp down on inflation by hiking interest rates. But we're also, because people talk about the debt, right? We could never hike interest rates because of the amount of debt that we have. Well, guess what? We also didn't have the debt that we have at that time, which in itself is a huge deflationary force against, mm -hmm. that we're also competing with. So there's like that dynamic as well that people never wanna fully include or talk about. I, I don't know, I think it's a big question. I, I just don't, I just don't know, so I'm very unsure about the whole thing. I, I just think, you know, to bring it back to what we we're open this with, you know, talking about Bitcoin and, and how crypto and everything fits into all this, the risk reward of an investment like this seems really clear to me um, mm -hmm. at this point, more clear than it's ever seemed in the past. And, and the price actions telling me this is going to be the 21st century store of value. Like if, if it starts imploding, I'll change my mind. I, I'm not like wed to it. Like. I think we were super bullish maybe in the beginning part of this, but like as the data changes, I will change my mind. But right now it's, be, it's becoming that asset. 
that you should hold and you're going to have to hold a portion of it because if you see a prices of everything else ripping, this is the only thing that's apparently holding its value. Yeah. I think, um, you know, one other thing that's worth talking about and is kind of interesting here is the dynamics of Bitcoin and Bitcoin derivatives and how liquidity flows into Bitcoin and then it impacts all the derivatives. And when I say derivatives of Bitcoin, I'm talking about uh, macro proxies. So Bitcoin stocks with Bitcoin exposure and I'm talking about altcoins. Mm -hmm. And I actually think you saw in the beginning of the run up, if you looked at the comparable performance of Bitcoin versus uh, public market proxies like Silvergate, Galaxy, Voyager, MicroStrategy, uh, those public companies outperformed Bitcoin on the way up. Uh, and essentially there was a premium there, I think, because of accessibility or access to distribution, right? Mm -hmm. the, the public market stocks. And if you look at all those stocks recently, you can add Coinbase to that bucket now, uh, which will probably be the de facto Bitcoin ETF until there's actually an ETF. Mm -hmm. uh, those are all down. And I think what you're seeing is the premium gets sucked away. Um, and that's actually really bullish for the space, in my opinion, because all of that, that, that essentially mean that's a, that's a spot bid. I love Bitcoin. that read. Yeah. The yeah. on-ramps are going to the actual underlying. The on-ramps are going to the, the base. They're going to the, the spot, mm -hmm. uh, which is a super bullish thing. And then I think, you know, credit to Tur Demeester, uh, formerly of Adam and Capital, he's on big on Twitter, but you know, and then, and then a, a valve, a pressure valve for a lot of that liquidity flowing in is, is into altcoins. I yeah. think, um, and that's people who've made huge gains in crypto and they're looking to, you know, keep the party going and they move into alts or it's the retail bid and they skip Bitcoin and they go directly to Doge and mm -hmm. XRP and Litecoin. And I will out myself and say in 2017, when I was moving into the space, I went back and looked at the shitty bags that I bought. <laughs> you want to guess what they were? Come on. You did it. Litecoin and Ripple. That is what I bought in oh, 2017. Wow. I, I owned a little Litecoin, not gonna lie. Yeah, not gonna lie. I, because here's, here's the logic for people coming into this space. They're looking for the next Amazon. They're looking at Bitcoin. They're saying, Bitcoin, 57K. Now a little rich for my blood. Okay, what's this uh, next one down here? This one, ooh, this one might do the same thing that Bitcoin just did. See, that's, that's the, I don't like that. I feel like you're just gonna get run over as a retail investor, but there's like, if you know it well, like. I just had drinks with Will Peets of 100 Acres uh, mm. last night. He was in town in Austin. Mm. And he's like so in the weeds on like which developers are working on which projects. The the opportunities that are available, if you can understand like which is the smartest developers working, working on which project, it's like an asymmetric. It's like kind of what, what, what you know, all the big hedge fund guys probably felt like back in the eighties when they were like, Oh, I got this hint of information and the stock's going to go up a hundred percent. Yeah. Let's load up. It, that's, that's the same thing. They're, the access, the information asymmetry, you get paid there, but you also get morons from retail, like being like, let's take this baby to the moon with no fundamentals and no developers on it and all that other stuff. And it's just, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. I firmly believe, yeah, that the, the next wave of macro is actually not in Bitcoin. It's mm -hmm. in these, it's in like DeFi and altcoins because mm -hmm. that you're right. Like 
if you can think about alpha, alpha should be most prevalent in markets where there's huge information asymmetry. That just makes logical sense. And yeah. these are the least well understood markets on earth, in my opinion, uh, yeah. of size. And, you know, if you think about now you think about, I think we talked about this maybe on a previous podcast. So maybe I'm just rehashing a point that I made earlier. But now when you think about guys like Paul Tudor Jones, you're like, that guy's an institution unto himself, right? Uh, you know, and everyone wants to kind of replicate what he did. But in the beginning, if you look at what these guys were doing, they were just these nerds in a room doing, you know, like they were just nerds in a room crunching data that no one had thought to crunch, it, you know, or and just now, look different. Yeah. Yeah. And it, this is the exact same thing. It just looks different than it did. And the people that get on board with it are going to make a lot of money. The people that say, hey, this, I don't like this, this, it, this is some fit with what my mind thinks should be the way that you make money, then they're not. I don't know yeah. how to say it any better than that. That's what's going to happen. It's just a, a transfer in mentality. But like, here's the other thing. Let's talk about the exodus of, of human capital. Bridgewater yeah. CFO just left and came into the digital assets space. Mm -hmm. if, if you look at NYDIG, all ex-Goldman guys that are it, just were, saw the writing on the wall at Goldman, realized it's kind of dying, like a couple, couple drivers. And like, yes, they make billions of dollars of revenue. I'm talking about future growth rates, mm -hmm. right? Same with Bridgewater, lots of assets, but like, if you want to plan for the next 10 years of your career, like that's just, there's not, you, you can't grow a hundred billion dollar fund. The guy, like the head of derivatives at NYDIG left Credit Suisse. He was the head of derivative tradings at Credit Suisse to come to NYDIG. And you're like, okay, you know, these are the guys that are like, okay, this whole thing over here, every drop has been squeezed out of it. And this is the new world. You just got to kind of think differently and like open your mind. And that's really where growth kind of comes from, right? I completely agree. Yeah, I completely agree. I am. Um, yeah, I, I mean, look, I think everything all being said here is that, you know, this is going to come across a very bullish podcast. There is a ton of risk in this market still. I also do not think that this is all going straight up into the moon. There will be colossal drawdowns. Um, you know, I did just say, I think a lot of the alpha that exists out there is in these altcoin DeFi sort of markets. There's a lot of not great stuff and insalubrious sort of activity that's going on there too. Not to say this is all in the up and up. I don't think that it is insalubrious. Salubrious? See that? This is that thesaurus <laughs> paint off that I bought. Uh, so I keep coming up with new adjectives for you. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of not great activity. I get it. But at the same time, this really feels like the direction. And I think it, it's just it's just interesting to watch this cycle play out again. This is my second cycle. And I think it took two cycles for me to fully recognize this. And a lot of life is just pattern recognition. Um, but you know, you kind of watch the way everything is tethered to the price of Bitcoin. This is what I think people, this is I think the least well understood thing that people don't understand outside of this ecosystem. At least at this point, everything is a derivative of Bitcoin, every single thing. And everything correlates to the price of Bitcoin as well, which sets the hurdle rate for the whole ecosystem. But this is what happens is Bitcoin moves along these four year cycles, right? Which it can, a huge contraction in supply causes a big spike in demand that in turn, we talked about the dynamic with alts there that shoots the price of alts up. That brings in the next wave of capital and 
and entrepreneurs. And then that gets you across the bear cycle until the whole thing repeats. And the reason like the CFO of Bridgewater thing is not super surprising to me. This happened last time too. That like when Jason and I were first starting this business, mm -hmm. we meet these people at like Fidelity and this big law firm and this investment bank and yada, yada. And four months later, every single one of them had quit to go work in crypto. That's what happened. And all these people now that you're seeing head of digital assets at whatever, whatever bank, they're going to mm -hmm. be gone, gone in three months because they're going to see the money that their counterparts are making. And they're going to say, what am I doing building this for a bank? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm telling you, it's that's it's gonna happen. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's about all the time we have. Um, this is a very bullish edition of the- I was going to say, next week, I'm going to play devil's advocate and just hate on everything Bitcoin. <laughs> just so they to... know I'm somewhat balanced, but- I know. I know. We're balanced. Now, if you- I think, I think you know, this week was undervalued information that the market was discounted. Yeah, I and agree. So that's why I wanted to be ultra bullish. I, I lay a lot of this, but this was my own fault. I came in hot this week. I came in hot. You even tried to slow me down. You called mm -hmm. my, my, you know, you had those comments about my shirt. We even got yeah. derailed for a couple minutes at the beginning, <laughs> but I was not to be derailed. We were right into it. So yeah, next week you'll get the more nuanced, uh, more nuanced takes, but this yeah. week. The balanced burrito. Exactly. All right, Tom, this has been fun. I'll see you next week. All right, man. Take care.